You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. This is Theology for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz, coming at you from the beautiful metropolis of Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Um, I am finally back. It has been it has been nearly a month since I published an episode of the podcast. I just uh, super busy uh, toward the end of the month of June and then was on a mission trip. Actually, I was in the nation of Paraguay for two and a half weeks on a medical mission trip. Uh, I myself am not a medical professional, but had the privilege and honor of leading a team of mostly medical professionals uh, to go to Paraguay to do some medical missions uh, and then do a variety of other things too. Um, but it was, it was a great trip, uh, but obviously could not record or post from Paraguay. And then since I've gotten back, just been swamped. Um, I do, uh, I do love the encouragement. I've gotten several emails from people over the last few, uh, over the last few weeks, uh, and a few tweets as well from people just saying, "Hey, where are you at? When are you coming back?" Uh, in fact, I was at church this morning. I'm recording this on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, I was in church this morning, and uh, someone who's new to our church just stopped by. A guy named Steve said, "He said, hey man, I've been listening to your podcast, but it's been a while. Where, where are you? Where are you post? Why haven't you posted? And where you been?" Um, so I'm getting called out by everybody at church, email, Twitter. Twitter, all of the above. Um, it's it's exciting and encouraging to know that people are missing the podcast when I'm not posting. So that's that is extremely encouraging and exciting. And here I am back in the saddle, ready to uh, ready to record today today's episode. Um, over the next few weeks, I hope to record just a bunch of episodes. I've got uh, I've got over eighty questions um, in the queue, uh, so keep them coming. I promise I will get to every single one of them. It will certainly take me a few months, obviously, but I promise I promise I will get to I will get to all of your questions. Um, this is episode two hundred and twenty nine. Uh, that's exciting two two nine, and I'm going to talk about a thing called fundamentalism. Um, the reason why I'm talking about this is because I've been asked a few questions that uh, that relate to fundamentalism. So no one has ever emailed me and said, "Hey, what is fundamentalism?" Um, but the idea of fundamentalism is fundamental to other questions I've been asked. So over the next few weeks, as I answer questions that have come in by email, um, I'm going to refer to fundamentalism in, in a few episodes. And in those episodes, I'll refer back to 229. That way I won't have to explain fundamentalism every single time. I'll have kind of one spot where it's been explained here, uh, here in this episode. Um, so let me dive into the idea of fundamentalism. Whenever people are talking about being a fundamentalist, um, they're talking about someone who is like very literal. Um, the, the, the term literally uh, came from the idea of someone who's ready to fight for the fundamentals, Some, someone who is willing to, to battle or debate about the, the foundations of a particular belief system. Um, and it's not just religious. So it could be political or ideological in nature. But but in essence, someone who is who who has a very literal belief and someone who is willing to defend the traditional foundational view. Um, typically, people who are fundamentalist um, in 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 kind of in their nature, in their personality, tend to be people who are very black and white. Um, that there's no room for gray in their world. They, they tend to be a very strict black and white sort of view the world personality. Uh, fundamentalists tend to have a very strict 
literal interpretation. Uh, when it comes to religion, whether it's Christianity uh, or Islam, they tend to have a very strict literal interpretation uh, of the scriptures. Um, a, a fundamentalist within the realms of Christianity would be someone who has a very strict adherence to biblical principle. Basically, someone who is very strict in how they interpret the scripture. Um, and there's a very narrow application. Basically, someone who says, this is the only way to interpret the scripture. This is exactly what it means. And this is exactly how you apply it to your, apply it to your life. There is no gray. There is no nuance. There's no room for debate or, or, or uh, differing views. Pretty much this is it. Um, there, there's no real room for for people to have varying views or for people to sort of to sort of have um, sort again to, to allow for for an I don't know sort of perspective. And again, while fundamentalism is typically referred to within the bounds of Protestant Christianity, um, it exists in other forms. Um, there is a modern fundamentalist Christian movement that really arose in the early 1900s. Um, but but fundamentalism as a whole has been around for a long time. And as we study Jewish history from the from the first century and before, we see groups like the Essenes and groups like the Pharisees um, that were very fundamentalistic in a lot of ways. And throughout Christian history, we've seen. Um, we've seen certain pockets of Christianity or certain churches or certain movements that have been very fundamentalistic or they've been fundamentalist in the way they view the world. Um, that, that is a relatively new word. The word fundamentalist is a new label, but the, the, idea, the idea of being a fundamentalist, someone who is very literal, very strict, no black and white, new, no nuance, there's no gray in the way they view the world, that type of personality has been around within Christianity for, for a long time. Um, and, and it's not just religious, by the way, and it's not just Christian. I mean, you've got fundamentalism, which was, which, which does exist within Christianity, but it also exists within Islam and in the Muslim world. Um, it exists in the world of politics. You've got conservative fundamentalists. You've got liberal fundamentalists. You've got libertarian fundamentalists. I mean, you've got fundamentalism existing within the world of politics. You also have it kind of in this, just in general ideology. I mean, we all know people that are vegan. Not all vegans are fundamentalists, but some are. We've got some vegans that are fundamentalists, right? In in the way they view the world. Um, so so every every people group and every sort of subculture has within it fundamentalism. Um, are all conservatives fundamentalists? Of course not. But are there some political conservatives that are fundamentalists? Absolutely. Are all vegetarians a fundamentalists? Of course not. Are there some vegetarians that are fundamentalists? Absolutely, right? This is the only way to view the world. And if you view it any other way, you are wrong. Here is the strict interpretation of the ideals. Here is the strict application of, of such interpretation. That That is kind of the, that's the, over, the, the ideology of fundamentalism. Now, Christian fundamentalism or the, the modern fundamentalist movement really arose in the early 1900s, but it really was sort of a response or a counter to the liberal movement. In the early to mid-1800s, you had a liberal the theology arising mostly in Germany, other parts of Europe, and then throughout the mid to late 1800s, it quickly spread to, to Britain and to the United States. Um, and when I th say theological liberalism, like the, the, the people there, you had a group of theologians and seminarians and pastors and teachers and authors, basically, that were sort of rejecting the traditional 
views of Christianity and really started to attack some of the traditional long-held fundamentals of the faith. Things like biblical inerrancy, like is the Bible actually without error Um, or does it have errors? Um, Is Jesus really the only way? Did Jesus actually raise from the dead? You know, all these sorts of questions that began to arise that, that I mean, and they they had arisen in other generations of the church, but the church had done an effective job of really combating it throughout the centuries, at least most of the church or, or, or chunks of the church throughout most of Christian history. And what happens um, in the 1800s, you have this, this segment of liberal theologians that rise up and there's no real debate that happens. There is no there is no Christian movement to sort of stop it and to say, no, we reject that and to sort of cast those guys out. But what ends up happening is that sort of that perspective and belief begins to spread significantly throughout lots of churches within Great Britain and within the United States. And and it the, the, the place where it kind of where it spreads to the most is in seminary. So you have all over the you know Great Britain and the United States throughout the mid to late 1800s, you have um, seminarians, people who are uh, you know seminary professors and people who are who are the professors and the instructors at these training centers all across the English speaking Christian world. Uh, this liberal theology begins to spread very quickly, and the guys that are charged at training the next generation of pastors are training them in this very liberal, wishy washy form of Christianity, which, you know, that's the proverbial slippery slope. Like if you begin to question this one thing, you're going to kind of go down this slippery slope. And so in the mid to to late 1800s, you have a whole generation of pastors being trained up. So what ends up happening is by the time you get to the early 1900s, you have a larger scale liberal uh, movement spreading throughout churches. And what begins to happen is you have, you have a lot of Christians and, and pastors in particular that are saying, wait a minute, no, that's wrong. You can't question these fundamentals or we can at least debate them and discuss them, but we can't, we can't relinquish these things because they are, um, they are the fundamentals of the Christian faith. This is orthodoxy. This is what the church stands on. And if you question it and you take it away, well, you, what you have left is not, is no longer Christianity. So then you have kind of this counter movement of people saying, no, don't be liberal. Don't be loosey goosey with the fundamentals, be committed to the fundamentals. And you have this kind of rise of Christians and pastors and leaders that, um, and I think this is a good thing in a lot of ways, that are standing for the fundamental for the fundamentals of the faith, and they're willing to battle for the fundamentals of the faith, and they're they're willing to debate against the liberal theologians that were coming out of Germany and and Western Europe, and then obviously many of the seminaries, and, and many of the seminaries, places like Princeton University that were that were that were great Christian organizations in a lot of a lot of ways, um, really went awry and went very liberal, and so. What what you have is this this fundamentalism that rises up, you know, in the ni- in early 1900s and into the 1920s to sort of counteract or to debate against this detrimental, dangerous liberal theology that had become so popular. So you have the the launching of of, of uh, new seminaries, uh, new new denominations. Uh, Westminster Seminary, one of the you know one of the most well respected conservative, th- uh, you know. Uh, 
quality reform theological seminaries in the country. Uh, it's right outside of my hometown, Philly. Uh, Westminster is one of the was one of the seminaries that was launched during this time. It was a bunch of guys that were from Princeton. They realized that Princeton had gone very liberal, and there was really no hope in kind of reviving it and bringing it back. So the the conservatives that were there, the guys that had uh, when I mean conservative, I don't mean politically. I mean they were the guys that were holding to the traditional fundamentals of the Christian faith. They were trying to conserve the the traditional views of the Bible and Christianity, they left Princeton and started Westminster uh, there in the Philadelphia area. Uh, and there were other seminaries and denominations and movements and things that, that launched um, all throughout the early 1900s. And a lot of this was good because it was really aimed at kind of preserving and conserving conserving what we knew to be right and true. Um, the, the, the problem is what begins to happen after the initial counter-fundamental movement is you have sort of this this ultra extreme wing of fundamentalism that begins to arise in the 1930s and 1940s. And by the time you get to the 1960s, you've had this very extreme fundamentalist movement that was kind of birthed in the United States. Um, today, we we have churches like Westboro Baptist, and they're kind of famous for uh, protesting. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of the very like hateful uh, sort of Christian protesters. They go to like the gay pride parades and they're the ones shouting with the megaphone saying, you're all, you know, fags are going to hell. God hates fags. Like that that's the type of extreme fundamentalism. Um, and, and what has happened is the word fundamentalist, what used to mean just being committed to the fundamentals has kind of become this very hostile, combative, extreme, black and white, very, in my opinion, not Christ honoring movement. Um, and what you have today over the last 30 or 40, 50 years, you have kind of some Christian churches that have become a counter to fundamentalism, right? So, so fundamentalism was a counter to liberalism. And now you have people that are countering the counter, you know, they, they've kind of, and these are, there, there, there are whole churches and authors and Christians that they never want to come down hard on an issue. Like everything is gray. Um, they, you know, they, they fear being lumped in with the Westboro Baptist people of the world. So they'll, they'll, you, you hear people say things like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not that kind of Christian. Well, yeah, you even see this in politics. People are like, well, yeah, I'm a conservative, but I'm not that kind of conservative. You know, um, like it's, it's the, there's this fear to being lumped in with, with the fundamentalists. So you go to this other extreme where you're even afraid to take a stand for anything. And that, that's really dangerous. Like we have to take a stand. We have to be willing to articulate and stand for true biblical convictions. We must be willing to fight for and debate for orthodoxy and truth. It is essential that we do that. Now, we want to do it in a way that is kind and loving and gracious and merciful and, and diplomatic and ecumenical. I, I, I try to do that on the podcast as best I can. Um, I'm not always good at it, certainly. Um, and I, I'm not, I try to do it in my life. Again, I'm not always good at it in my life. I, I seek to do it. I seek to be diplomatic and ecumenical and kind and gracious and merciful. Um, but we have to be willing to stand for biblical conviction. And the fundamentalists, they're willing to stand for biblical conviction, but they, they've gone so extreme and they're so literal in their interpretation of the scripture that there's no room for disagreement. Um, and if you disagree with them, then you're a part of the enemy. It's like, well, I maybe I just disagree a little bit, but if you disagree a little bit, all of a sudden you're lumped in with the liberal crazies of the world. And you're like, oh, you know, you're, you're supporting all those bad things. And then you're like, well, not really. Um, I'm, you know, I, I'm not. 
I mean, in some ways, I'm a fundamentalist. You know, Kenny Ortiz is fundamentalistic in some ways, but in some ways, I'm not. Um, I think there are elements of fundamentalism, which is good, and I think there's elements of fundamentalism, which is really bad and detrimental um, to our reputation and our Christian witness. Um, I think there are some people that listen to the podcast and they think that I'm not fundamentalist at all. They're like, man, you're you're really nuanced and you, you leave a lot of room for gray and you're really good at kind of being neutral and taking both sides and giving everyone, you know, a perspective. And there are some people that listen to the podcast and they think that I'm a, I'm like, I'm like the crazy guy who's bombing abortion clinics. And I'm like, I'm out there, you know, uh, you know, protesting the gay pride parade, which I'm not, that's not me at all. But there are people who think that way that think I'm that because of some of the stance I've taken. Um, so some people think I'm super fundamentalistic and some people think I'm not fundamentalistic at all. I mean, I guess it depends on uh, where you're coming from or what side of the aisle you're on. Right. Um, and so you have, you know, so, so you have these different sort of elements of fundamentalism that have risen up, and and today the prominent Christian fundamentalist movement has sort of been hijacked by these extremists. Um, I I would call them verbal terrorists to some extent. I mean that maybe that's a harsh lingo to use, but I think um, I think that's I think that's probably accurate. Um, I think the Bible is the word of God. It is the inerrant word of God. But do I think every single liter- every word of the Bible is to be taken absolutely literally? literally? No, I think there are some portions of the Bible that are are to be read in the genre of their literature and they're to be they're to be interpreted as such. Well, the fundamentalist says to me, "Well, Kenny, you're being wishy-washy. You're being liberal. Every word of the Bible is to be interpreted literally." And I'm like, "Well, I don't think that's necessarily the truth. On the other side of the aisle, when I say, hey, I think the Bible is an error, it's without error. It has no errors in it at all. I got the other people saying, oh, you're too fundamentalist. You're you're taking too hard of a stand. You should let me interpret the Bible, you know, as, as how I want. So again, you've got different people and different vantage points and different perspectives demanding that other people do it the way they want it done or or you know demanding that they be stricter or less strict in the way they interpret and apply the scriptures. So the bottom line when it comes to Christian fundamentalism, this is the idea of having a very strict and very literal uh, interpretation of the scriptures with no wiggle room, no gray area. It's completely black and white, very absolute. Um, having one very literal, very strict interpretation of the scriptures, and then having one very narrow, very strict, absolute application of the biblical interpretation. And if you disagree with the modern Christian Protestant fundamentalistic movement, then you run the risk of being labeled a fake Christian or a liberal or someone who doesn't defend orthodoxy or a whole host of other, you know, crazy names you might be called, uh, you run the risk of being uh, or being a target of their combative ways of protesting and debating. Friends, my hope and prayer uh, for all of us, myself included, my hope and prayer is that we would that we would be unashamed to stand for biblical truth, that we would be willing to fight for and defend the fundamentals of the Christian faith, but we would do so without becoming overly fundamentalistic, that we would not become so literal that we would never allow room for people to disagree and have some room for debate. Um, My hope is we would never become combative or aggressive or hostile to the point where there's no allowance for some disagreement and nuance to some extent. 
I, I, I'm okay with disagreement. I'm okay with debate. And I'm, I mean, and I'm even okay with people taking a stand. I'm okay with people saying, this is truth. This is the fundamental. This is what I fight for. I have no problem with that. May, may we stand for biblical truth and may we, may we, may we make our biblical convictions known in such a way where we are not combative, but that we are loving and gracious, that we are ecumenical and diplomatic, that we are kind and Christ honoring as we stand for biblical conviction, as we fight to defend the fundamentals of the Orthodox Christian faith. That my friends is my hope and prayer for all of us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hope it was helpful and insightful. If you have a question or a topic that you want me to address on a future episode of the podcast, please feel free to shoot me an email. The address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Or you can connect with me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. I love Twitter. I tweet a lot. Feel free to connect with me there. Also, a reminder, make sure you check out our website, theologyfortherestofus.com. I've got a resource page with lots of recommended books, blogs, and other podcasts, as well as all of the previous episodes available on the site. Check it out. Again, it's theologyfortherestofus.com. To ensure that you never miss an episode of the podcast, make sure you subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast player, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, whatever. That'll guarantee that every episode gets delivered directly to your device as soon as they go live. And if you're loving the podcast, do me a huge favor. Head on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review and a great rating. Those are really, really important as they help us reach more people. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.